step back, doors closing. You know, I'm tired of that. From WAMU in Washington, I'm Diane Rehm. Please move to the center of the train. That's better. Coming up on Metropocalypse, the summer of stumbles, a derailment, red signal overruns, and a pair of federal reports that expose more holes in Metro than a Little League infield. Plus, how to make Metro greater for $100,000 or less. Here's one idea, getting iconic radio voices to record our Metro announcements. So what would it sound like if someone like Diane Rehm or Corva Coleman were your PA announcer? Let's find out as episode 13 blasts off now. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. It's like peeling an onion, right? You keep finding new layers, new things wrong with it. Doors opening, step back to allow customers to exit. Step back, doors closing. Step back, the doors are closing. There's a knock on the doctor's office door. Hello, Dr. Wiedefeld, it's your patient, Metro Rail. I need my prescription. Yeah, it's called Safe Track. But when Dr. Wiedefeld lays his patient down on the examination table, he starts finding a host of other maladies, and they are infectious. They can harm riders and Metro workers. The Safe Track medicine won't be enough. The summer of Safe Track's been a summer of setbacks. Just listen to what's happened in the past couple of months. There's been a rash of red signal overruns, one so egregious the operator was fired for nearly running down two track workers and risking a head-on collision. A train derailed at East Falls Church right outside a Safe Track work zone because of rotting railroad ties. Why? Well, Metro wasn't inspecting the tracks. And the most recent news this Thursday, get this. The Metro Transit Police and a pair of former federal prosecutors are now investigating the incident. And it's pretty clear these are not isolated incidents or just bad luck. A pair of scathing federal reports expose the systemic problems that are causing trains to slip off tracks and operators to break the rules. So how would you assess the state of Metro service? Lauren Gardner covers federal transportation policy for Politico Pro. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Martin. And David Alpert, the founder of Greater Greater Washington, who's also going to tell us about the final ideas for the Metro Greater Contest. How are you doing, David? Great. Good to be here, Martin. You don't sound like you're too excited to be here. And this I is your am sec- so excited. There, that's better. That's better. It is <laughs> wonderful to be here, uh, And this is your second appearance on the podcast. Lauren, it's your third, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm sure you're happy we're in an air-conditioned studio and not sweating out on the silver line with... Uh, it's a nice change. Yes. So let, let's chat about the last couple of weeks. Uh, David, let me start with you. As Safe Track's been going on, there's been one negative headline after another. That's right. And it's very worrisome. We had um, uh, uh, two FTA reports coming out recently, one saying that there have been a very large number of red light uh, red lights being run by Metro train operators over the past few years. And that was uh, 68 uh, stoplights, uh, red lights. And then also, really systemic problems at Metro about inspecting the tracks, and these things definitely should um, should should worry everyone. Metro, you know, it's still I don't think that people should not ride Metro because of safety, but it's clear that this needs to be fixed. Yeah, FTA is the Federal Transit Administration, which does oversight of Metro Rail since last fall. You know, Lauren, you just don't cover Metro; you ride Metro. You've dealt with a couple of these safe track surges, but you know, you're paying attention to the news. What are your thoughts on everything that's going on? Yeah, um, I mean, it's been kind of—it's definitely been a lot of bad press for Metro, given all of these slip-ups that have been happening while safe track is going on. Um, you know, it's never good when you have train operators running red lights, especially. Was that twice in one month? Um, three times. Three times. So I, I'm, I'm glad they're getting some of this track work done and 
namely right where I live. They finished the safety search a couple weeks ago. Uh, but it's clear that they still have a lot of work to do, and uh, the FTA reports are making that very clear, too. The Federal Transit Administration essentially found that Metro is not ha- – its track inspectors, you know, out of their whatever it is, eight-hour day, we're only getting a short amount of time actually out on the tracks looking for problems. And we know that not all the problems are being found in a timely fashion. There was a derailment July 29th at East Falls Church. And when it comes to these red signal overruns, I mentioned it already, the most egregious one was on July 5th when two track workers were almost run over and uh, the train operator risked a head-on collision. He was fired. David Alpert, you have experience working for you know, large organizations or at least a large company. You used to work for Google. You know, Someone once told me that bureaucratic failure, organizational failure is prosaic. That seems to be the case at Metro, but it's not an excuse, is it? Every large organization has some of its problems, but it's clear that the, the problems at Metro right now go much deeper, that there is just not a commitment, uh, as far as we can tell from all of these reports and what we're finding out, a commitment to really fixing these problems, a commitment to safety inside the organization at Metro. And Weedafell is trying to change that, but absolutely. it's taking time. It, it takes a lot of time. You have lots of cultural elements really ingrained. Google, where I used to work, worked extremely hard to maintain elements of its culture that were about trying innovative things, you know, people trying to really focus on the needs of users, lots of cultural elements like that. And they talked constantly about those. At Metro, we only have some visibility into, you know, exactly what it's like to be in the mid-range or, or front lines of Metro. But from everything that we see, it's, it's clear that the culture there has lots of sick elements that, that will take a long time to stamp out you know, in every in every department, every level of the organization. All right. So how are you feeling about Metro these days? I can imagine. We'll open up the phone lines for Metropocalypse listeners after this. Continue on Metropocalypse with a story. It's late 2014. Richard Sarles announces his retirement as Metro General Manager. I was there that day. I remember he was happy and proud of what he thought the Transit Authority had accomplished. Metro finally escaping the shadow of the 2009 Fort Totten crash. Sarles talked about making the system safe. The Silver Line had opened and new rail cars were on the way. Then Lafont Plaza happened. Carol Glover died aboard a Yellow Line train on January 12, 2015. The incident exposed the progress as a mirage. Many of the same old problems that haunted Metro before Fort Totten were still plaguing the system before Lafont Plaza. An absent safety culture, decaying infrastructure, shoddy inspections, and the local oversight body, the Tri-State Oversight Committee, powerless to fix it. You can be excused for thinking that some agency had to be in charge of enforcing safety rules at Metro, but you'd be wrong. There was none. No enforcement, no fines, no penalties. Enough was enough as far as the feds were concerned. So fast forward to today, and we have a bevy of bureaucracies in the realm of safety oversight, four to be exact, play a part in our story. Let's try to clear things up by starting with Politico Pro's Lauren Gardner. 
Yes, it's definitely a huge alphabet soup that we have to digest every day. So right now, it's the Federal Transit Administration that has temporary safety oversight of Metro. And Congress gave that agency the authority to do something like that a couple of years ago. But the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB as most people know it, They recommended back in the fall that the Federal Railroad Administration should take over safety oversight of Metro. From their perspective, Metro kind of operates like a commuter railroad. FRA has more experience with uh, safety inspections and also has uh, the ability to levy fines against a system that they don't think is getting everything up to speed quickly enough or properly. All right. So let's regroup. We have four bureaucracies, FTA, FRA, NTSB, and DOT. And you probably don't care too much about those. You're more concerned with, you know, the fundamental questions of the day. Are the trains going to run on time? Is my ride going to be safe? Well, we can add two more agencies to this strange mix, the Metro Transit Police Department and a pair of former federal prosecutors. They've been called in by Metro to help in the investigation in the East Falls Church derailment of July 29th. So we're three months into Save Track. We have one derailment, a couple of damning federal reports into how things are going at Metro, a rash of red signal violations. So we wanted to know how riders are feeling about all this. We asked the Metropocalypse Facebook group what their biggest concerns are and whether they see any signs of good news. One theme that comes through, questions of who is going to be held accountable for these failures. Colin Roosh is a member of Metro's Riders Advisory Council and our Metropocalypse community. Known issues um, are sometimes ignored for months and even years. So, you know, I think uh, my primary question is, uh, you know, when will we see uh, some some evidence that mechanisms for accountability are being put in place within Metro from top to bottom? That's an excellent question. Well, there have been some firings. I, I, I don't want to, you know, infer that you just want all heads to roll. Certainly but, not. Uh, you know, there have been some firings, but really to your point, effective oversight. And Lauren, we've talked about the oversight alphabet soup, who should be doing it. Effective oversight can't really come from on high. It has to come at the ground level. And that's the supervisors who are on the platforms in the wayside blockhouses who are out there with the metro train operators. Each and every time a train comes in and then exits a station, there has to be rules in place. They have to be checked. The operators have to be trained properly. Inspectors have to really know what they're doing. Uh, It's deep and it's systemic but it's going to take some time for Metro to get there. Well, I, I mean, again, I would just you know, pose the question of, of whether or not we see any evidence of that happening. Um, and I think that also raises the issue of, of transparency. I mean, I think it's great that we have the, the customer accountability reports uh, that, are, that are being issued on a monthly basis. I think that does shine some light on some of the work that's being done to improve things, and I applaud that. Uh, but I think Metro could be doing more to be more transparent to to riders and, and the, you know, those of us who are concerned about these issues. Well, Colin, the gears are in motion on that, but it's going to take some time. Thank you for your call. This is Martin DeCaro on the Metropocalypse podcast with David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington and Politico Pro's Lauren Gardner. Ethan Handelman from our Metropocalypse Facebook group is also on the line. He has a question. What's going on, Ethan? Hey, Martin. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So my concern it really ties into a lot of what you've been talking about. It's about long-term viability of Metro. SafeTrack is, is just supposed to be a catch-up on deferred maintenance. And in theory, when SafeTrack was all over, we would still have a 40-year-old subway system. 
as SafeTrack proceeds, it's like peeling an onion, right? You keep finding new layers, new things wrong with it. I'm worried, you know, we'll keep peeling and then there'll be nothing left. You know what else what happens? You know what else what happens when you peel an onion? You weep. Yes. Yes. It's painful. So, you know, what's what does the future really look like for Metro? For people like me who made long-term real estate decisions to be close to a Metro station, there are lots of us. Should we have done something else? Your question is a great one. This is something I try to impress upon people when I'm uh, invariably asked about Metro during the course of the day. And uh, David, as a smart growth advocate uh, yourself, the experts say the riders will be there in the long term because of all the real estate development coming in within a short distance of metro stations. However, the caller, Ethan, is correct. Safe track, you know, we're still going to have 40-year-old rail system when it's over. And metro's expenses are going one way. Its revenues are going the opposite way or simply not catching up to expenses. I would say there are structural problems that put us in a situation where there is not a guaranteed positive outcome. That's absolutely right. Everything is going to depend on the metro system working. I mean, it just, it has to be fixed, and we have to identify what it's going to take to fix it, come up with a plan, talk to local officials, talk to the media, talk to riders. This is what we need to do. Can we come together? Can it get done? Development will bring more people in and so forth, but they're not going to ride metro unless the metro works, unless it's safe. On revenue, like you said, there's a long-term budget danger that costs are going up much faster than money coming in. And there have been lots of reports over the years about possible ways to fix that. Again, we're going to have to have people coming together all around the region and hopefully in the federal government as well to figure out a solution. Ethan, are you regretting your choice to live near a metro station? Not yet, but I'm I'm really starting to worry. About? Your that, personal safety or just that uh, you're... Um, you know, I think I would stop riding before personal safety became an issue. I think unreliability would kick in and I'd be stuck sitting in a car on 16th Street instead of read my book on a metro car. I just I think I just saw David Alpert grimace at that suggestion of hopping <laughs> in your single occupant vehicle. But yeah, you're not alone in that and you know the region's future relies on metro being there. Many of the smart folks we've had on this podcast believe that it's going to come back the ridership that is, but bridging that gap over the next several years is going to involve a lot of different things all getting going in the right direction. The finances, the day-to-day reliability, avoiding another calamity. Uh, You know, you never want to say only one person has died in the last year and a half ever, because only, you know, that word doesn't belong in that sentence. Mm -hmm. But uh, 15 people have died on Metro Rail since 2009. The last one was Carol Glover uh, back in January of 2015. We have yet to recover from that incident. Uh, To say nothing of the pain it caused the Glover family, the entire region, I still think, is overshadowed by that day on the the yellow line. I I agree. The other thing, I think what we found out on that day was how deep the problems went. When Paul Wiedefeld came on to Metro, he said, I haven't found the bottom yet. And with some of these reports, it makes us wonder if we still haven't found the bottom. You know, maybe Wiedefeld has to pull a Dick Ravage, Mr. Richard Ravage of New York, widely credited with saving the New York City subway system in the late 70s, early 1980s. He tells a great story about how he convinced business leaders, bankers, politicians to come up with the resources necessary to save the system by forcing them to confront in person just how bad things had gotten. So, you know, actually, in fact, we have Richard Ravage on the phone right now. Mr. Ravage, how you doing? 
Very well, thank you. So t- take us through that some 30, 35 years ago. You brought bankers and business leaders down into the denizens of the New York City subway system to show them how bad things were, right? I did indeed. I, I called uh, the leader of the business community, the chairman of the Chase Bank, David Rockefeller, and nervously asked him if he'd be willing to get up very early in the morning and let me give him a tour of the subway. And he graciously said yes. And then I asked him if he would invite the chairman of MetLife, the chairman of AT&T, to come with us. And he did, and they did. And I showed them the empty inventory shell, the conditions under which the men were working. Uh, I showed them the repair facilities, the number of wheels that had been uh, squared off from uh, excessive use. Uh, I could go on and on and on. And they recognized it, and they called the leadership of the legislature and said the future of the economy in New York City and the the future of the business community is dependent on having a functional subway system. Uh, Can ravage his tax package. I don't know literally what they said, but that was the net effect of it. I mean, Lauren, could you imagine, you know, the Tea Party Caucus going down into the subway with Paul Wiedefeld? I'm picturing any member of Congress with a hard hat on right now going underneath the system, and <laughs> it's amusing. But perhaps that would be effective. David? I love to see people better understand what's actually going on. There's so much for members of Congress, for local leaders, for uh, podcast hosts in uh, local radio stations and riders we we hear these these snippets from these FTA reports and we talk about these issues but for so many people the the reality of what's going on there isn't uh, isn't as salient as I, as I think it could be and it would be very smart for uh, Paul Wiedefeld to to try to actually educate people in that way in the way you're suggesting all right so convincing members of congress and elected leaders to go down into the tunnels doesn't sound quite as difficult as rebuilding deteriorating rail lines but it won't exactly be a quick win when we come back we'll explore the things that metro might be able to do that don't cost a lot of money but that could make riding it more pleasant before we go lauren gardner what would you do quick win putting you on the spot right here in the summertime yes cold towels cold towels at the stations Yes, we could have, you know, instead of flight attendants, rail attendants, why don't we just make the subway system like an airline? We're going to discuss that next as Metropocalypse and Metro Greater continue. We roll on, hopefully staying on the tracks on Metropocalypse. David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington, Lauren Gardner of Politico. I was joking around with you before the uh, the break, but uh, Mr. Alpert here and his organization have been running a contest called Metro Greater. So, David, before uh, we get to the 10 finalists, because we talked about this the last time you were on the podcast, we had, what, 14,000 ideas down to 10 finalists. You know, nowadays, people kind of see Metro Rail as, you know, it competes against other modes, right? Uber or whatever. You know, it, it's ultimately not a private car service. It's not an airline. But when it comes to customer service, transit systems are still kind of in the Stone Age, and you're, you're trying to change that a little bit. Is that right? 
That's right. We we wanted to, um, and when Paul Wiedefeld came into Metro, to his credit, he said, I want to find ways to make Metro better, both big and small. Clearly, we know what the big ones are. He's got to make the, the de- trains not derailing, operators not running red lights, the, the, the actual cars to be maintained, hopefully fix the air conditioning, all those sorts of things. There's not a lot of, of question about what the big things are that he should do. But he also really wanted to do smaller things. We came up with the idea of having a crowdsourced contest for riders to actually suggest what those smaller things are that Metro can do while it's also doing the big things. So you're down to 10 finalists. Give us a couple... Sure. A lot of the uh, concerns that riders had, which which makes sense when they were thinking about what, what they wanted to see changed, a lot of people's minds went to finding ways to make it easier to navigate the system, to know where you are, better signs, things like that. There's still an enormous number of ways that it can make it easier, especially for people that don't know exactly where they're going or aren't taking the trip that they, a t- trip that they take every single day to be able to find their way around. Uh, so, so, so better signs is one. There, there's essentially a, a, a group of them. There's about maybe five of these ideas out of the finalist 10 were about wayfinding. One that I like was about painting compass rose decals at the tops of the escalator so when you get out of the station, it can help you know which way is north. Or other ones are just as simple as, you know, put more of the name of the station along the wall there. So if you're sitting in a train and it gets to a station and you're not quite sure which one it is, that you don't have to crane your neck out every diff- single window in order to find the one place that says, oh, that's Cleveland Park. There were some good ideas about making the system more accessible for people. Uh, one was to make those signs that say, please give up your seat to people with disabilities or, or people who are pregnant or, or other things like that, to make them a lot more direct and actually push people harder to actually do that. All right, so people proposed ideas. Now we can vote. And the critical date here is August 26th. The way the, the whole system worked is people suggested these ideas. A jury comprised of people from transit advocates, people from rider organizations like the Riders Advisory Council, and some people from Metro went and vetted ideas and came up with these 10. And now everyone can vote at metrograder.org through Friday, August 26th. They can rank their ideas, and whichever one is gets the most votes, Metro has committed to implement. Well, I do appreciate the call to make the uh, system more accessible for people with disabilities. But uh, other than that, I kind of like Lauren's idea with the cold towels. Lavender scented. Lavender scented. My idea is single malt scotch neat. Uh, or maybe one ice cube, but then that calls into question about how expensive freezers would be uh, to keep the ice uh, mm-hmm. going there on each train car. Might be problematic. Uh, two what, other ideas that I, I he's think going back to the ideas here. Do you, what about you? Do you have a personal one that you that you want? Well, um, I like there. There's uh, there's one I want to mention because there was one about the bus. We really wanted to have some about buses, and there were a few about buses that weren't uh, doable in six months, like putting more bus maps. Uh, in stations, and I really hope Metro will do that. But also, some people suggested just getting, trying harder to get people to exit the buses using the rear door, mm-hmm. which already is encouraged. But one I really like is an idea that uh, some that they um, called in a, pithily "Kojo on Metro," or the idea of having uh, Kojo Namdi or another uh, personality, perhaps from a local beloved public radio station slash network to record some of the announcements on the train. Oh, you mean like this? Step back. Door is closing. Hey, you. Quit blocking the door. You're going to make my guests late. Doors opening. Step back to allow customers to exit. Doors are like, um, opening. Step back to let the customers, you know, like, exit. 
All right, so August 26th, we'll have the winner of the Metro Greater Contest, and Metro has promised to implement this idea, right? Metro has agreed it will uh, have six months, and all the ideas will cost under $100,000. Metro has promised to implement the winning idea, and we'll be following that, encouraging them, and also holding their feet to the fire. That concludes episode 13 of Metropocalypse. Thank you to Lauren Gardner of Politico Pro and David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington for joining us on today's roundtable. And thanks to all the members of the Metropocalypse Facebook group who offered their perspectives on how SafeTrack's going. Shout out to Ethan Handelman, Evelyn Tracy, Colin Roosh, Simpson Garfinkel, Brenda Middleton, Jonathan Scharf, and Kevin Combs. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, Zaid Shorbaji, Joe Arminski, and Chris Chester. And cue the sad music, Zaid is leaving us this week after spending the summer at WAMU as an intern. Zaid, good luck with the Orange Line. Andy McDaniel is our director of content. You can subscribe to Metropocalypse on iTunes or NPR One or wherever you get your top shelf audio. And feel free to leave a nice comment or a constructive criticism. All is welcome. All the music from today's episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. You heard tracks by Rootbug, Aztec Sun, Fat Neil, and Saltman Knowles. And finally, a special thanks to Diane Rehm and NPR's Corva Coleman for showing us why the local celebrity option on Metro Greater is the most worthy of your vote. You can see all the ideas at MetroGreater.org. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCamp. When boarding, please move to the center of the car. When boarding, please move to the center of the car. Ask. <laughs>